Hello and welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. I am your host, although most of the time, 90% of the time, I forget to introduce myself. I am Ashton McCauley. Uh, I am a writer. I edit this podcast and you know, like, that's really it. Those are my credentials. But uh, before we get into today's episode, which is a doozy even by our standards, I wanted to take a quick moment and tell you about a new project I'm working on. It is called The First Ambassador to Crustacea. And let me ask you a question. Have you been looking for some uh, crab-based sci-fi political thriller in your life? Uh, because if you are, then boy, oh boy, good news for you. If you go to mackashton.com slash library, you scroll down until you see the uh, little book cover that says The First Ambassador of Crustacea. It's got a crab behind a planet that looks like it was drawn by maybe a five-year-old, but it's actually drawn by me. It's just artistry uh, of that sort is not my primary talent. Anyways, you go to the library, you check that out. It's free. And by say library, I mean macashton.com slash library. Repeat it again. That is on my website. This is a short story where I am uh, putting out new chapters every week for free. And it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's a political thriller about a planet of crabs living in a psychic ocean. I mean, I, I really don't know what else you need. If that's not selling you on it, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not for you. But anyways, go check that out at mackashton.com slash library. It is, again, completely free. If you do want to support it, there is a donation button at the bottom, but you really don't have to. Like, I'm just happy for people to read it and tell me what they think about it. So I'm going to be posting a new chapter of that, hopefully each week, and it's going to end whenever it ends. Because uh, I really, really don't know where that story is going, but I'm just having a lot of fun writing it, so I wanted to talk about it at the top of the podcast here. But that's really it from me today, so go ahead and enjoy this episode, because it's a wild one. Welcome to, you know, what what could be the end of our last season ever after episodes like this. We're, we're, we're going a little off the rails again in honor of uh, season three, rest in peace. And it's time to look into something I've been curious about for a long time. Since the beginning of season two, Ashton. Like, you have yeah. been pumping this for quite a while. And, and, and reading about it, I don't, it's another one where I don't know why I was pumping it. Except for this one, I'm like, I'm pretty happy with where it went. I think it started with Wendigos, right? Like, for you, those two kind of yeah. blended together. And then you did research into Skinwalker Ranch. And, and um, sorry, spoilers. I just threw it out there on accident. Uh, but then you, you thought, oh, this is good enough for it to be its own episode. Yeah, and weirdly, like, it does not connect to Wendigos in any way, shape, or form. So I'm going to start the episode with this, and nobody's disappointed. But yeah, we're talking about Skinwalker Ranch today. I think this, yeah, it came up when we were doing Wendigos or Area 51, uh, and we were just looking up other conspiracies. But John, what what is your baseline knowledge of Skinwalker Ranch before we get started? Dude, like nothing. Um, I, I've heard you chat about it a few times here and there, um, but I had never heard about it before. It, it hadn't come up in any of my research. It's just one of those things that uh, you had mentioned in passing and you wanted to do an episode on. And I am really excited. This is going to be a little bit of a different format. Yeah, man. So my baseline knowledge of this place was that it was a ranch in the middle of nowhere. I thought maybe it had something to do with people getting possessed. And then I thought it maybe had something to do with Wendigos. And I honestly cannot remember why. I think maybe because, like, there was something in the Wendigo legend about the term Skinwalker, but who knows? So let's just, we'll dive right in. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, also at one point known as the Sherman Ranch, which is most of the stuff we're getting into is going to be when it was called the Sherman Ranch. Uh, it's in Ballard, Utah. 
It's a pretty remote area with about 40 people per square mile. For context, a city like Seattle has 10,000 people per square mile. So it's pretty uh, spread out. The name comes from an old Navajo legend about people who could take the form of animals. So there's not a lot known about skinwalker myths in Navajo culture because they're stories that aren't frequently shared with outsiders. The real core of what we do know about skinwalkers is that they're not seen in a positive light and are more akin to something like an evil witch or a corrupted shaman. Okay, really quick. You say they don't share stories, but actually, I don't know if I don't know if you know this. There's a whole book series about this called Animorphs. Oh, that's a good point. Animorphs basically are skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little less evil. You know, I never actually read those books. I I just uh, I would buy them for the covers, do the little flippy thing on the bottom of the pages to watch the thing evolve, and then never read them. They were. I, I think I read like two of them. I've since gone back and done like a Wikipedia rabbit hole on how fucking wild and crazy that's that meta story gets and apparently it's out there man i love finding series like that as kids where it's like you just buy it at the book fair because it has a cool uh cover oh yeah and then yeah okay so this this i think so this aspect of the myth skinwalkers corrupted shamans whatever it sounds similar to wendigos with the idea of people being possessed i think this time with more animal characteristics and possibly less gruesome uh, whereas wendigos are primarily centered around murder misdeeds cheating anything that would have harmed the tribe so how does a ranch get a reputation for having skinwalkers about weirdly that didn't come up until a lot later the first thing i found is a bunch of ufo sightings so in utah utah is considered to be one of the hotbeds of ufo activity In fact, reading through an old article from the 1970s, it seems like people were pretty much blasé about seeing UFOs, like they just didn't care. So here's here's a good example. While driving home from Roosevelt, Miss Rasmussen spotted something out of the corner of her eye. She looked up through the windshield and asked David if the shining object she saw was a plane or something of that nature. David calmly replied that it was a flying saucer. At that point, Miss Rasmussen, fearing an accident, pulled her car to the roadside. And that's it. She just pulled over because, you know, you don't want to be driving where there's a UFO around. That's dangerous. Well, that UFO driver could be drunk, so she didn't want to be in his wake of wake of destruction. Like, you, you never know what these aliens are up to, seriously. But that clip's taken from an article in the Desert News, September 1978. And the, the gist of it is basically that there is this place in the Utah Basin where there is a bunch of UFO sightings. It's... Very common. I think I, I'll, I'll get to this later, but somebody said that they thought at least 10% of residents had had a sighting, which is, that's pretty high. But Skinwalker Ranch doesn't really, like, appear on the scene until, like, 1996. But this is kind of setting the scene for the area. Like, this area is already known for UFO activity. So in the, I believe it's the Desiree News. It's spelled D-E-S-E-R-E-T. Sounds like Desiree to me. So, Desiree News. Maybe? Desiree. Like, yeah, I don't the know. Gazette or something like that? Oh, yeah, you'd think it'd have two T's and an E then, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Either way, Desiree News. So this is where Terry and Gwen Sherman come in, because they are the second owners, I believe, of Skinwalker Ranch, and they bought this property... And the article starts by talking about this astronomer that is like, there's an abundance of life in the universe. I don't think it's come here. And Terry and Gwen Sherman said that they wished some of the teeming intergalactic life would find somewhere else to hang out. They apparently, they had many paranormal and extraterrestrial experiences while living on the ranch. Uh, They bought the ranch in the early 90s, but it had sat idle for 
seven years after the previous owners passed away. Already kind of spooky, but weirdly, we're not going to get into ghosts. I don't think at all. Real real missed opportunity for the Shermans there. They could have made a buck. So the first sighting they had was in April of 1996, shortly after moving in. Terry was checking out the fields when he saw a bunch of lights on the horizon just above the cow pasture. Initially, he thought it was teenagers on ATVs or something like that, but the ranch is pretty remote. Uh, It's about three miles from the nearest road. He walked down to check on the cows and found that they were mutilated. He then saw a UFO hovering above them, and it went over some poplar trees that were about 50 feet tall and flew away. And that's funny because I'm pretty sure we've mentioned poplar trees in other UFO sightings. Like, that's always the barometer for what they can fly above. Like, I think that came up in... What's the one that we just did? The Flatwoods Monster. Yeah, poplar poplar trees are what the Flatwoods Monster flew over, I think, too. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Don't at least, come at, at me about trees. At least they're consistent when it comes to the types of trees. Mm-hmm. It's a good bar for them to jump over, you know? Flyover. Yeah, that's their first sighting, was this this flyover and ca- cattle mutilation. Gwen, who's the wife, had her first sighting shortly after. And initially, she was looking out, and she saw what she thought was a pair of headlights. But then... A red glowing circle appeared and lit the whole side of the mountain up like broad daylight. And then the lights went away. They just flashed their high beams. They wanted the mountain to get out of the way. It was driving too slow. Some heck of high beams right there. I'd be, man, I'd be scared shitless if something lit up a mountain uh, like daylight. I would think it was a volcano. Rainier finally decided to blow. These sightings continued. And (laughs) this this is the best one. At one point, Terry and his son believed that they had communicated with one of the crafts. Uh, they they quote-unquote snuck up on it. I don't know how you sneak up on a UFO, but they snuck up on it and waved their arms. The craft then flashed lights on and off three times as if quote-unquote signaling them and then disappeared. So what that sounds like to me is somebody is a big fan of Spielberg and they had seen close encounters and they were like, oh, yes, yes, flashing lights. They're communicating uh, I also like that their idea was to just wave their arms at the UFO after sneaking up on it. You know, maybe they were not fans of Mars Attacks. It, it's also at this point that I would like to point out when there was a certain movie that came out right around this time. John, do you know what it was? Uh, Independence Day. That is correct. Independence Day came out in 1996. So it's after their first sighting. But uh, this was Independence Day did cause a lot of UFO fever especially because of the fact that at the beginning of that movie, you know, they show SETI finding extraterrestrial life and people are like, okay, so there's real organizations dedicated to this. And whenever UFOs get in the public conscience from something like a movie, the sightings spike everywhere where that movie is popular. Just happens. What about the shitty sequel to Independence Day? We see a spike in UFO sightings then. Oh, for a long time. So this is the Sherman speaking. They said, for a long time, we wondered what we were seeing, if it was something to do with a top secret project, said Terry Sherman, who reluctantly agreed to speak about it publicly, but eventually did. And he said, I don't really know what to think about it. The Sherman family reported seeing three types of UFOs in their time there. There's a small box-like craft with a white light, a 40-foot-long object, these are great descriptors I found, and a huge ship the size of several football fields. That's a big ship. So they've got, you know, your your compact, like, Geo Metro. They've got, you know, your, like, Toyota Highlander SUV. And then they've got a long-haul Mack truck. Yeah. You know, they're, 
they gotta diversify. You know, aliens gotta gotta have fun too. But the forty foot long object, apparently, when it was flying, it had wavy red light beams in its wake. And then they said that they saw plenty of other airborne lights and what looked like orange circular doorways opening right out of the sky. Which, uh, you know, sounds kind of creepy. I wanted to take a moment before we get to the rest of Skinwalker Ranch and the rest of this article, but I wanted to address my first instinct, which was is conspiracy corner number one. And I think this one's a really, like, as far as conspiracies I've developed, I think that this one, this one could really take the cake because it has all the groundings of a real conspiracy, uh, which is, could this be government test flights of some kind? Super remote. They would want it in somewhere super remote. Oh, just wait. It gets better. So this is taking the position that these people aren't batshit or out for money, which we'll get to later. But assuming that we're looking for government bases in the Utah Basin or close by, we've really only got one option, and that's Dugway. So Dugway is actually just south of Salt Lake, and the Sherman's Ranch is pretty far east of that, but let's say that planes have range. Okay. And they wanted to fly over other areas to get there. The unfortunate part is that Dugway is a testing facility for chemical and biological weapons. So this is where they test out nerve agents and other weapons in a safe environment. Uh, weirdly, they also let NASA crash a ship here one time because the ground is primarily made of talcum, which is similar to moon dust. That's that's real. I didn't know that. Uh, they do let the nearby Air Force Base do aerial maneuvers, but really, it doesn't seem like they're housing anything like a secret airplane project. Which brings me to the better option. John, have you heard of a little place called Area 51? I missed that episode. That was that was you and Tyler. So no, I've never heard of it. Can you tell me a little bit about it? That, that, that's your fault for not listening to the podcast. No. <laughs> so Area 51, top secret area in Nevada. If you've watched Independence Day, if you were familiar with the Area 51 raids that happened, like this is supposed to be like the secret testing facility of the US government, specifically for, they, they do a lot of flight tests for alternative flight craft i think at least that's the theory nobody really knows because it's a secret government base but in 1997 popular mechanics ran a story about the signs that area 51 was being relocated to utah this is right after independence day came out and there was suddenly a huge boom in interest for area 51 because there's a good chunk of independence day that takes place at area 51 so popular mechanics runs this article they say because of the popularity from the movie the government is actually moving Area 51 somewhere else. And a source from Congress said that it would take $5 billion to move Area 51, and that as a result, it was unlikely. It's a lot of money. Yeah. But if it was moved, and it was called Area 6413, and rumors said it was located in eastern Utah, it would be a really nice match for the stories that we hear about Skinwalker Ranch. And the timing would actually match up, like, pretty perfectly. Because if you think that, if Popular Mechanics thinks that they're moving in 1997... The move was probably much earlier than that. Mm -hmm. The U.S. government is ahead of shit. But I will say that this theory is widely believed as insane, and I don't think that we should give any real credence to it. But it would be a fun story. Like, the the government, you know, like, 99% did not move Area 51. But if they did, I think that that's what people are seeing at Skinwalker Ranch. Back to the, uh, back to the Shermans. So the next thing they talk about witnessing on the ranch was crop circles. Because, you know, it's a classic... It's tried and true. At this point, they're well into the UFO game. They found three circles. What, what's the prevailing theory with crop circles? Like, is it that that's where aliens were trying to land their planes and it just destroys crops? And like, I've never understood that. 
So I think there's two theories. One is that it is the circular impression from the landing gear. The the other is that they are specifically like alien graffiti or like tagging mm. or like they're trying to communicate through crop circles. But yeah, I don't know. Or somebody like left the mower on at night and it just went in a circle a bunch. I think that's probably what happened. Yeah. But when they found crop circles, they found three circles eight feet across in a triangular pattern, uh, 30 feet from one another. So perfect equilateral triangle, which makes it sound like landing gear. Uh, there were smaller circles that were three feet wide in a nearby pasture with perfectly flat indentations. So if you think that they saw two sizes of craft, it would make sense that you would get two sizes of landing gear. You know, uh, Gwen also reported being chased by flying lights at one point on her way home. Uh, Terry said he heard male voices speaking in unfamiliar languages about 25 feet above him outside where he couldn't like, so he looked up in the air. He heard male voices speaking. His dogs went nuts, but he couldn't see anything. And another classic alien move, the Shermans started mysteriously losing cows. They lost seven in total. Four of them disappeared without a trace and three were found mutilated. Uh, here's a quote from Sherman. He says, we've seen the UFO is long enough, and we know pretty much what the craft look like, and I think it's definitely associated with cattle mutilations. When we see the crafts and then the cattle, we have problems. The cows all had similar mutilations where they had peculiar holes in the center of their left eyeball, but were otherwise left untouched. But of course, because this is cattle mutilation, and because it's aliens, do you know what comes next, John? First, they came for our eyeballs, then they came for our anuses. Our anuses? Oh god, were they yeah. fucking the cows? No, well, look. An- anal probes have always been a trope with aliens, so much so that South Park's first episode is about it. Fair. It's called Car- Cartman Gets an Anal Probe. That is that is 100% true. So the next cow they found had a six-inch hole, uh, six-inch across, about an inch deep, carved out of the cow's rectum with a chemical smell coming out of it. Cattle mutilations have been reported with UFO sightings for a long time. But the article goes a step further and says, in a classic mutilation case, the anus is cored out and the cow's udders and genitalia are removed, all with laser-like precision and no visible signs of blood. They also saw some other weird stuff happen to their cows. They saw one being lifted out of the snow straight in the air. They checked for footprints afterward. It looked like the cow walked straight forward and then the tracks just disappeared. The nearby trees appeared to have their tops completely cut off and there was a circle of broken twigs where the cow had vanished. And yeah... So that is like, uh, so, so, so there's all of that, right? And I'm like, where the fuck did the name Skinwalker come from? Yeah, lots of alien talk. No shape-shifting talk. Yeah, and granted, this is just the first owners of the ranch, but it became Skinwalker Ranch after they owned it. So here is the idea of where Skinwalker came from, and I had to really dig to kind of find these. So it does seem to be a case of taking convenient parts of Native American myths that suit the story you're trying to sell. Uh, there are a few articles I found that mention the Shermans encountering a huge hulking wolf that they would try and shoot it and it would just sort of shrug off the bullets and then wander off, which kind of reminds me of Thunderbirds. If you remember like way, way, way back when. Everybody like, was just trying to shoot them. Yeah, yeah. The first instinct was to shoot these big metal birds. Poor birdies. Poor birdies. But, okay, so they, they have a few instances of encountering these this, this big-ass wolf, and then some say that wolf is a skinwalker or someone cursed to roam the realm between man and beast. The reasoning behind it is where things get pretty muddy. So, according to some, there's a, there's a legend that local native tribes were in a dispute with each other, and somewhere in that process, a curse was placed. 
that curse is what allegedly brought skinwalkers to this particular piece of land. So they, they cursed the land, a bunch of skinwalkers showed up. However, when native leaders were consulted, there was no memory of such a tale. And they instead suggested that it might have just been uh, pieces that were lost in retelling uh, or subject to embellishment, basically like a really bad game of telephone. Common in cryptids. Yeah, I was going to say, if it sounds familiar, it's what happened at Amityville. Mm -hmm. That whole uh, taken for poltergeist and, you know, Indian burial ground when it's like, nope, there was no native grounds here. There was no, like the chiefs were consulted. They were like, fuck that. No. Also, that's not what our spirits would do. We have good spirits. Yeah, I think it's just, this is a case of somebody really wanting to sell something and knowing that there's a lot of strong native presence in the area. So it's a really easy thing to try and, uh, I guess, like cheese. Of course. Like, uh, it's, uh, it's an easy exploitation route for the Shermans. So this is getting to the end the Sherman uh, of the Shermans. So the Shermans, not trusting authority, rather than going to the police about all this, went to a local UFO expert who I believe was a high school teacher that was also a seasoned UFO researcher. The researcher just said that he was not surprised and that many people in the Utah basin have stories about cattle mutilations and lights in the sky and that upwards of 10% of people have made a sighting, like I said earlier. And that's it. And the Shermans, seeing a bunch of weird shit and knowing they had this batshit crazy property, what do they want to do? They want to sell it. Smart. Smart. Yeah, you want it, you want to flip it. So the question is, who, how, who, who would you sell a property like this to? Like, how the fuck do you sell a ranch that is known for cattle mutilation and UFOs? Yuppies. That is wh- yuppies. Yeah, yuppies. You want to make a compound. You sell well, or you sell it to yuppies who are looking for a deal and don't believe in the paranormal. Lots yeah. of movies have been made about that. That is a good point. But what yuppies live in Ballard, Utah? Yeah, that is a good point. But they sold it to the opposite of yuppies. They sold it to people who wanted it for the paranormal activity or, you know, extraterrestrial activity, whatever you want to call it, which is where the National Institute for Discovery Science became interested. I'm going to call them NIDS for short, but this organization was set up in Las Vegas by a man named Robert Bigelow. Fucking idiot. Their main goal was to study... The study of fringe extraterrestrial and paranormal phenomenon. They wanted to make it very clear that they did not just study UFOs. It was a pheno- it was phenomena of any kind that they were interested in. And a fun fact: they there is an association. I forget. It's it might be of scientists or philosophers that gave them an award for the stupidest way to spend your money. Like the the stup- basically the stupidest publicly funded institution was NIDS <laughs> because they yeah. I mean, they, they bought this ranch. But Robert Bigelow is a genuinely, genuinely successful person. He has a net worth of about $700 million. Uh, from what I can tell, he made his nut on a chain of budget hotels in the U.S. And he funds all sorts of weird projects, in, including currently he's funding one for the maintaining of one's consciousness after death. He currently has a $1 million reward out for anybody who can prove the existence of consciousness after death. So, John... I think we fucking quit our jobs, and we've got some work to do. Which which one of us has to die here? I I'm a little. Oh, we concerned. don't. Oh, we don't have to die. It doesn't say we have to be the ones. We just got to find somebody. Who? Okay, know? we got to find somebody who who has like a terminal illness, who wants their death to mean something. Like there's there's a a moral way to do this. But to be fair, like 
I think Dan Brown wrote a book about this at one point where they proved that the soul is a real thing because like is that so, Digital Fortress? Uh, uh may, may, no like, Digital Fortress okay, so Deception Point was they prove alien life, but it turns out it was all faked. Digital Fortress was Hacking, but I can't remember if it was about putting consciousnesses in computers too. Well no no no, it wasn't about consciousness and computers that he wrote about. It's like somebody dies in a capsule and they note like it's a sealed capsule closed environment and there's a scale in there and they see that when the person dies and breathes their last breath even though there's nowhere for for anything to go the weight like decreases by a couple ounces so like it's yeah it proves that the soul left the body and all this kind of stuff so do you know that's a real phenomenon oh it Uh, is yeah, so there is this phenomenon, I think, but I it, I believe it's been disproven as like gas leaving the body, like the gas, like gas is, is gas is mass, as they say in the business. Uh, in the business, yep. In the business, they say gas is mass. Uh, but yeah, like there are legitimate ways that you could lose a little bit of weight from yourself after you die, even in a closed environment. But they made a movie about it. I think it's called Seven Grams. But that's taking the the paranormal side of it. Either way, bringing us back to Skinwalker back to Bigelow. Ranch. Yeah, back to Bigelow, as we as we say. So one million dollar reward if any of you can prove consciousness after death. You know, uh, we definitely didn't say we were going to murder anybody for it on the pod. So. That's definitely not admissible in court, as far as I'm concerned. It's, God damn it's it. don't don't come after us. We didn't we didn't do it. Definitely, John didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> it's also worth noting, Robert Bigelow, he has been incredibly successful in private industry UFO research. He's actually worked with the Pentagon, and currently runs a for profit company with the goal of reverse engineering unidentified flying objects. Which at this point, I should say, unidentified flying objects are not always alien saucers, right? Like it just means it's unidentified. So, a lot of times, experimental government aircraft, yeah. Yeah, and like if they like, I don't know, found a drone from another country or something like that, they wanted to re-engineer it, like that might be something that Robert Bigelow's company does, even if he's mostly uh, an alien nut. We all the have other, our passions. He, yeah, he also hitched himself to MUFON for oh. quite a bit of funding. Yeah, MUFON keeps on coming back. And uh, the article about him quoted Jan Harzen quite a bit. Who, again, I'll repeat, Jan Harzen is in jail. Yeah. Man is in jail for soliciting minors. But he's a, he's the second the second head of MUFON to have that happen. <sighs> so they have a type. <laughs> they have a type. Anyways, Bigelow buys Skinwalker Ranch for $200,000 in 1996, which is fucking cheap. <laughs> For like a big plot of land, it's cheap. And we'll, we'll get there. Let's just say it's worth a lot more now. It's worth a lot more than 200000 I would think so. So the Shermans only stayed there for two years. Nibs buys the ranch uh, and studies it for about four to five years. They report plenty of lights in the sky, other strange happenings, magnetic disturbances, creatures with glowing red eyes, stuff that turns their radios on and off. Uh, they had There was magnetic disturbances that made people feel sick. Uh, but unsurprisingly, whenever they go to record these phenomena, the instruments they're using malfunction or break. So there is no concrete evidence. All that time studying at the ranch, and they have nothing to show for it, or at least, and I quote uh, Nibs here, they had nothing that would hold up to scientific scrutiny. In 2004, so this is eight years after the they bought the ranch, Bigelow disbanded Nibs and goes on to chase those other for-profit projects I mentioned. And at one point, he teams up with George Knapp, who wrote the original article that I was talking about, 
big UFO enthusiasts. They write a book together about Skinwalker Ranch and make a tidy profit. That's about it. And that's when we move on to the next sale, which is 20 years later in 2016. Do you want to take a guess what the ranch sold for in 2016? It was originally 200k. Well, let me let me ask you something first. Has Ballard like grown since since it was first purchased, or is it still pretty small? Oh, okay. So I should say the Ballard estimates I have are from now. Oh, God. So, so if anything, it was smaller. Okay. So what, like 800 grand? 4.5 million. Holy. Okay. A little bit more than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So for those keeping score, uh, that is a 22x increase in revenue. <laughs> like, Jesus. Uh, it was sold to a shell company called Adamantium Real Estate. Fans of Wolverine. Must be. Yeah. Big, big X-Men fan. Yeah. Over the years... Uh, permits started showing up for recreation facilities, t-shirts, mugs, etc. And then in 2020, it's revealed that Brandon Fugel, who is a Utah real estate tycoon, had bought it. And it's around this time that a documentary also starts airing on the History Channel about the ranch. So, bought the ranch, filmed the documentary series there. I think it's in its second season. I have not watched any of it. But that's where the story ends for now. And my big questions are, will it become a theme park? Are we going to keep watching the History Channel sink lower and lower with their content programming? Hey, Uh, hey, hey now. Pawn Stars is a great show that is well covering of the history of the United States. So, just like the Learning Channel teaches us all about Honey Boo Boo and the life of child pageants i've learned a lot there the yeah. history channel is teaching us about americana via a pawn shop in vegas it's funny because like i lampooned the history channel in a man of the mountain and make them seem ridiculous but they've actually like kind of come around full circle to be exactly the way that i depicted them oh yeah you know uh, what happened like yeah it's not that far off uh okay so a brief aside the uh, last two conspiracies here which is why why are there so many phenomena at skinwalker ranch this first one isn't really a conspiracy it's what i think actually happened so you have your theory one which is the military stuff but the theory two is if you want to sell your property to a bonkers organization like nibs you falsify a bunch of alien claims okay that one's pretty simple but for our last conspiracy here we go this one it's rough, so buckle up. The Shermans really wanted to cover up their deep interest in the rectal workings of bovines. They had a taste for it. They really liked coring out cow butts. And originally they were doing it on their own property. But one day their cows just weren't enough. Like They're like, you know what? I'm done coring out the buttholes of our cows. Let's go to some other farms. And they had to cover their tracks somehow. Somehow, So they invented the story of aliens doing it. And they're really just a bunch of sick fucks that like to go core cow butts. Is, is this... Ashton, is this like the hunter who got tired of hunting animals, so he had to go hunt the most dangerous game? Like, is this the parallel you're you're drawing here? Basically, but it's cow butts, and rather than going to humans, they just wanted to core more cow butts. Honestly, it seems more likely than aliens to me. Good God. So that's it on the history of Skinwalker Ranch. Ugh. What a day. Now, I forget, John, do you have uh, any any films or documentaries that were made about this place? Yeah, so you mentioned the History Channel one, which is fascinating to me because they're making a second season. How do you make two seasons on, like, one thing? That's... Look at Ghost Hunters, man. Yeah, but that's multiple ghosts. That's different areas. This is Skidwalker Ranch. Like, one property that they're doing multiple seasons on. That's absurd. And that's... the The show is called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. 
Um, it, it details everything along the lines of UFO sightings, alien mutilations, and they do detail paranormal events in that show, allegedly, from what I've researched. I obviously have not watched it um, because... Uh, Got to get into ratings, you know? As much shit as I gave you, the History Channel is um, turmeric cancer. Um, so I try and avoid it. The show Lost Tapes on Animal Planet had an episode centering around the ranch, uh, specifically a skinwalker there, um, which... We, we actually didn't talk about why it maintained Skinwalker status later in the years. Do we think that's just because that was the reputation it had? Well, so like Nibs, Nibs had a couple of sightings of those animals with the glowing red eyes that would have been called Skinwalkers. And I also just think it has a ring to it, so it stuck around. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I also think it's fascinating that you had said the rich guy kind of abandoned everything in 2004, right? Robert, yeah, Robert Bigelow. Yeah, he abandoned everything in 2004, and then he just hung on to the property for 12 years. I mean, clearly a good investment. Yeah, no, I get that. Maybe, maybe for him, it was more about he saw value in a property and he wanted to have a tax write-off or something like that's something that comes to mind. Uh, but coming back to the documentaries slash movies, uh, Joe Rogan questions everything, uh, spread a bunch of misinformation about Skinwalker Ranch in one of his episodes. Popular figure right now. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening to us on Spotify, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> we might get taken off um, if you're listening to us on Spotify because I said a bad thing about Joe Rogan and they paid him nine figures. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch uh, is the name of a film based on the folklore surrounding a ranch. Uh, it highlights an investigative team that goes to document strange activities, uh, looking into the ranch owner's son's disappearance, uh, and they see eerie events and a warning by a Native American. Uh, the Hunt for the Skinwalker was a documentary detailing the history uh, with testimonial from locals and friends of the Shermans. There was an episode of Portals to Hell that t- took place super close to the ranch, detailing similar phenomena of the ranch itself. Uh, Project Blue Book has an episode around the ranch. And then we come back to the Secret of Skidwalker Ranch, which is that uh, History Channel documentary. So a couple actual, or only really one movie that focuses on the ranch itself. And then it's kind of one of those offshoots of a bunch of different series that tie into cryptids kind of like ours is an episode where we we highlight it for a little bit and then that's about it so skinwalker ranch uh john what are, you, what are your opinions what did you what did you think of this one this this was a roller coaster i expected a lot more like shape-shifting like we had talked about with windows yeah. and those types of things and then it being really a paranormal or sorry not a paranormal but an alien centric myth cryptid whatever we want to call something like this was Fascinating to me, and the fact that it spanned kind of three sets of folks and was consistent. Uh, I'll be really interested to see what ends up happening with that property because, like, four and a half million dollars in the middle of fucking nowhere is absurd. Well, and the recreation permits there would get me, like, I think that they're gonna, like, I don't know. Have you ever been in Eastern Oregon? I think it's called the Miracle House. <laughs> it is it's a roadside attraction that's allegedly built on a gravity well so there's a bunch of things about the house that are like kind of weird like there's rooms where stuff rolls uphill and like a, lo- a lot of it is just like perspective trickery yeah but it's it's gotten pretty famous and i'm wondering if they want to do something like that where they can make an attraction like come see skinwalker ranch and blah 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 blah. because they have t- if they have t-shirts and mugs planned it sounds it sounds like they're planning on letting guests in there at some point and yeah or it's going to be a ymca <laughs> or a ymca no but I, I hear you 
when it comes to they're they're obviously getting things ready to sell. And and my my major thing is you look at that and okay, now I'm curious and apologies, I'm gonna Google something, but I wanna know how far away fuck, what's this place called? That's right next to it? What where in Utah is this? Ballard, Utah. Ballard, not Buxton. So Ballard, Utah. Okay, it's right off the the one ninety one. I'm backing up. This is really far away from any major area. Oh my God. So it's between Fort Collins and Salt Lake City. So how far to Salt Lake City? That is going to be... Oh, it's not that bad. It's two hours and 31 minutes. Okay. So if that was it's like a legitimate theme... It's 150 miles. If that was like a legitimate... like, Because I'm thinking, yeah, theme park is what makes sense there. Like a bitchin' theme park that, that you could make it like Skidwalker Ranch. Or like... You know what I could also see it as? I could see it as a uh, like a an ultra-rich, like refreshing spa or something like that. <laughs> um, like a getaway place. Come bathe in the uh, in in the the UFO juices, you know. Well, but also like in the winter time, it's cold as fucking snowy. So like, what do you what do you do year round? Like, there's so many things that like so many minute details that I fixate on. Where it's like, look, he wouldn't have bought it for four and a half million dollars if he didn't have a plan for it, right? So yeah. what what is that plan? I'll be really interested to see how things shake out there and what what becomes of it. Like, I love these Google reviews of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, quote, really, really scary. The hot dog alien ate my cats, but the beef is good. <laughs> Food was good, but weird. It tasted off of the ingredients. And then this place is wonderful. I enjoyed everything about it. Oh, and I, and I should note uh, something you said about the consistency over the three groups of folks. The first people that live there, no experiences whatsoever. Oh, so it, that's it started with It started with the Shermans. Which which gives credence to the idea that they really just wanted to kind of hype up the property and then sell it. Which jokes on them if they sold it for two hundred k. They could have just held it for twenty years and then sold it for four and a half million. Yeah, see, should have pulled them up by their bootstraps. I wonder how much they paid for it. Yeah, that part I couldn't find. Back in ninety four. Well, I mean, you could look up property tax records, right? Back in ninety four, you're starting to sound like that Hulu documentary. Back in ninety four. Back in ninety four. Black Rock or Spy Rock. Spy Rock Road. Just, I love the way he always said Spy Rock Road. Yeah. Uh, good times. Well, that is it for this. I get, fuck. What episode is this? Is this eight? Eight or nine? Loch Ness was seven. Okay, so this is eight. So we got we got two more. Oh, I remember what our plan is. That's right. The next two episodes are going to be very special. Uh, I'm debating whether or not I want to give them away. It's the end of the podcast. We're going to we're going to keep it. Yeah. You you'll find out. They're going to they're going to be a lot of fun. So wait, wait, wait. the end of the podcast. We're not doing a season 5? Oh no, no, sorry, sorry. I'm at the end of the episode Okay, right you had me worried. <laughs> yeah, no. That was news to me. Yeah, so I like I think it's probably going to be a break. Either this episode's going to come out late or the next one's going to come out late. Because uh, I'm heading out on vacation and uh, I can't, I don't, I'm not going to edit them on vacation, but just know it'll be fun when it gets there. Anyways, uh, thanks for indulging me in this, uh, <laughs> this 45 minute long version of Ashton's Conspiracy Corner. I very, I enjoyed it. This uh, is one of our longer episodes this season. That's the funny thing. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that we, yeah, that it's just me talking most of the time and it ended up being that long. But man, I fucking love, I love rabbit holing on this shit. So thank you, viewers, listeners, whatever we call you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll, heads. We'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. Bye, friends. That is going to wrap us up for today. Boy, oh boy, a 30 minute Ashton's Conspiracy Corner. I, I'll be honest. I enjoyed the heck out of recording that episode, listening back through it. That is 
it's just a fun one. I had a good time with it. So let me know if, what you think of this particular format where basically I just rant at John for 35 minutes uh, because I, I had a lot of fun doing it and I'd, I'd love to do it again. We've got a new episode coming in hopefully right around two weeks because I'm back from vacation. Uh, successfully avoided the Rona while I was out there because I wore my N95 mask. So, you know, hey, these things work, people. It's pretty great. But I am uh, back on my normal recording and editing schedule, so we will get that out to you as soon as possible. If you like the show, uh, many of you have started to rate us, and I really do appreciate those ratings. But, like, if you have feedback, hit us up. We are at Cast Decrypted on Twitter. Or if you want to hit me up personally, I'm at Real Mac Ashton on Twitter. That account is probably mostly just me promoting my writing and uh, talking to the Taco Time Twitter account because I have a little bit of a romance with their tater tots. It might have a might have kicked off the the greatest love of my life. Either way, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for putting up with whatever this incoherent rambling is at the end. Uh, we really appreciate you all, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. <laughs>